Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it, because we have a jam-packed episode today, filled with more NBA news on top of NBA news. On top of the big, crazy week that we've had, from Chris Paul being indefinitely out, Kawhi Leonard out, to some coaching firings with Scott Brooks and Stan Van Gundy being let go from their respective teams. Now we have more news, and this time it's even bigger because Donnie Nelson stepping down as the Mavericks GM, Rick Carlisle resigning as the Dallas Mavericks head coach, Kemba Walker getting traded. This is an episode that I've been looking forward to. So we, of course, had to bring the Mavericks fan on this podcast because this is some big news that we have to talk about. So I need to make sure I get this intro right. Writer for the Mavs Moneyball, co-host of the Blue Hardwood Dallas Mavericks podcast, co-host of the Gunshot NBA podcast. And of course, Dallas Mavericks fan don't really know how she feels yet about (laughs) these moves. We will find out at some point in the episode. So please welcome Lauren Gunn. Thank you guys so much for having me back. I uh I'm very very stoked to be back and and break this all down with you guys because it's it's some chaos that's already starting to to take place and we haven't even really kicked off the off season. So I am trying to remain calm. How are you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. Honestly, I think it was hilarious, Ryan. I think after we had the bombshell take place while me and you were on TV um tv's podcast for t uh tv on basketball it had dropped midway through us recording and i was like after we're done i'm like yeah i'm texting lauren so i instantly <laughs> hopped a dm was like oh lauren we have to speak <laughs> and i mean as soon as we could get it set up it was a pretty much a done deal at that point so you knew we were going to talk about all this stuff and the crazy thing was that when we were on tv's podcast we were transitioning to a dallas Mavericks segment so that was about as as perfect of timing as it could possibly get. So nonetheless, let's start with the Dallas Mavericks. I'll start with Lauren. I just want your instant reaction to Carlisle and Nelson stepping down. So Donnie stepping down, um, I was surprised. I didn't think that that was going to happen. Uh, I said, I want to say a couple, maybe two, three weeks ago, that while I think there's reason enough that that should happen, I don't think it will, considering the history of the relationship. So I was very surprised when that happened. Uh, what led to that happening in the rec- in recent history might be a little, you know, some of the rumors from, from the athletic article that dropped talking about Bob Vulgaris, all that drama. Um, there's a lot that kind of continues to come out, and some of it you're like, okay, well, is that exactly how it went down? Was it really that bad? Or are there things that we're not even ever going to find out? Is it even, is it actually worse than what we're already seeing? Like, there are things, questions that I still have that I know that I'm never going to get the answer to. So in response to Donnie stepping down, I think it was the right thing because the biggest, the biggest critique of the Mavs is that, is their roster construction. And that falls on him and, and Mark Cuban. We all know, but, but Mark Cuban's not going anywhere. So, um, Donnie stepping down was, Good news, strangely enough, because it showed that Cuban was not afraid to make drastic changes because he doesn't want to move Lu- or lose Luca. The Rick Carlisle uh, departure, I guess, was a little bit different because it was a it was a 
true shock. It came out of nowhere. Well, it was it was shocking that it happened the way it did, considering a week ago, uh, after the season ended, he said, talked about how he loved Dallas when the the initial Rick to Milwaukee rumors uh, started. Um, he shut that down, and, and Cuban kind of shut that down. He said he per- essentially said the grass isn't always greener. You don't move on from a head coach unless you know the grass is going to be greener. So it could have been said better with maybe a little bit more confidence with Rick's our guy. You might have wanted to hear that instead of you don't do it unless somebody comes along. That's not exactly the vote of confidence that any fan base wants to hear. But um, what a lot of people didn't know was how much the relationship between Carlisle and Luca had kind of deteriorated. And uh, they didn't hate each other. That's not true. But there was definitely friction. So, that I mean, when that's the case, it's going to happen sooner or later, whether it's now or what the thing that's so bad about all of this is that it's happening at one time and it's happening right before your offseason that you need to go in and make the most like you need to go in and make moves. So Dallas now finds themselves in an incredibly difficult position um, and they it's it's not a good look. And I'm I'm I'll, I'll tell you guys that my philosophy on all of this is that if Donnie can't if Donnie couldn't uh, construct the roster as best as he or as what was needed what it needed to be then he needed to go and if Luca didn't like Rick and that was never going to work out he needed to go so it, the timing is terrible it's a PR nightmare but it was all going to happen sooner or later so from that like you've got to from a Mavs perspective you've got you you got to acknowledge and accept that it is a nightmare and that it is going to negatively impact you moving forward in terms of how uh, oppose, or like other GMs and other players are looking at the stability of your front office. Like you have zero stability, so you have to accept that. But you've got to move forward and you've got to say, "Hey, we're going to take it in a new direction." Which is why these next hires are so important because you don't have the wiggle room to miss. You can't go out and hire Scott Brooks or Stan Van Gundy, somebody that's like. No, no, no. You can't do that. You can't afford to miss. <laughs> so um, they really got to be careful. They got to take their time and do their homework, and, and we'll see what happens. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you guys saw that they just hired Dirk officially as, as a special advisor in the front office. I think that's probably a step in the right direction. Um, but I know who I want to see in there. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm hanging on for dear life because, like I said, this – what they do in these next six weeks before things really kick off are going to determine what might happen next year, what might happen in five years when Luca's that clock is up. It this it's now. It's now or never. So you need to make sure that you're you're handling your business. And we will definitely get your opinion on who should be the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. But Jalen, like I mentioned earlier, this is an understatement to say that this is a surprise. Because I don't think anyone saw not only Nelson stepping down, but also Carlisle stepping down. So what was your instant reaction to both of these moves? So I think with Donnie Nelson, the biggest thing is, right, that Mark Cuban has not had a non-Nelson running his team (laughs) pretty much for the entirety of his tenure. We're talking about somebody who dates back to, what, I think 1998 for this franchise. So talk about stability. This is uh, a front office that has pretty much seen the same names and faces pop up around the office for two decades 
plus at this point now, right? So I think the biggest thing with that is Lauren hit it on the head when she talks about the idea of his ability to make moves moving forward um, and whether or not he was actually the guy to set the table for what Luka needs around him in order to be a championship contender. This is the this is the danger of being um, some uh, being a team that hits in the lottery, right? It's because now your timetable is sped up. We're having that same conversation right now about Zion Williamson, and we already see that there's a lot of debacles with that in terms of their front office. You know, in terms of their circumstances, I would say that their front office is on a short leash as well, and they've got this next co- coaching hire as their only saving grace. I wouldn't say that Dallas is in a similar circumstance because they're cleaning house entirely. Um, But I think that it goes to tell you just how important winning is to Mark Cuban, that he's willing to sever such a tie in order to get what he needs um, in position to make Luka happy and to also make this team better. I think the intriguing thing about the Rick Carlisle thing too, right, though, is um, when you're talking about his position – within the franchise it just seemed like one of those things that lauren touched on it in terms of his exit interview it seemed like one of those things that you weren't really sure they'd actually go through with um but when you talk about the kind of dynamic he had with luka Doncic, you you go to wonder if this was something that was on the table way sooner than we anticipated so i think the biggest thing with both of these um step aways i guess is that they they were shocking only because of the names attached but i think the ideology around the um, around them stepping away is actually the one saving grace that makes most of these situations make sense so i think overall their next steps are really important because of the fact that I think what I've seen Mavs Twitter do a lot as of the last 24 hours is kind of date back a lot of the trades that have taken place. Um, Christos Porzingis comes to mind. Um, obviously, the trading, the moving of Seth Curry um, for Richardson comes to mind. There's a lot of other things that kind of take place. Um, I remember one of the other things that was mentioned was like the drafting of Dennis Smith Jr., which kind of gets lost in the fray of all of this as well when you factor in Donovan Mitchell went a little bit later. So with that being the case, track record of that, the fact that the Mavericks haven't gotten a, a first round win in I think like a decade. And then, of course, you know, anything related to Nelson in terms of just you felt like his his ability to make this team better. These next couple of moves are going to tell us about what this team is going to be moving forward kind of for the long haul because this $200 million uh, max extension pretty much tells you that Luka's your guy and you know he's going to sign it. At least I feel everybody feels confident he's going to sign it. So Mm -hmm. everything they do around him pretty much is going to solidify what the future for this team looks like before Luka becomes an actual free agent. Right. And there is a lot of talk about Luka Doncic because he is the franchise guy at this point. I think there is a feeling amongst the the Mavericks organization that they don't want to make the same mistake that they did with Steve Nash by not re-signing him. And especially considering what they lost in Steve Nash, considering that the year after, I think Phoenix took Dallas out of the playoffs (laughs) that year. So obviously I can see where Mark Cuban's coming from, especially giving Luka a lot of the power. But is it a bad thing that Luca's getting this much power? And Lauren, I want to start with you on this one. Do you think that Luca has too much power in the franchise amidst tension between him and Rick Carlisle? No. Um, when you've got someone that's doing what they're doing at 22, 
you've gotta you've gotta be willing to give him that power to give him that say obviously you're not turning the keys over this isn't a like a current lebron situation that's not quite what's happening and i don't know that cuban would ever do that because i just don't really think that that's in his personality or in his just his style but um but yeah with with luca i don't think he has too much power because you also have to keep in mind if you're mark cuban you're not la you're not new york you're not miami so you don't have the flexibility to say hey you're a player you need to know your place that's not how this works so um yeah i don't i don't think he'll have too much power um and i don't think he's in danger of of looking like okay well you're you 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 had a not had a hand that's the wrong way to say it but um you got a coach fired essentially like you know he he doesn't want to have this like a cancer he doesn't want to look like a cancer but i don't think he's close to that i don't think necessarily anybody thinks that everyone's looking at dallas right now saying you need to handle this situation correctly you need to be aware of what you have and make the tough decisions take the emotions out of it make the tough decisions to put this guy in a position to compete for a championship because he is that good and you have so far failed i mean the porzingis trade was a great trade at the time like that you gave away essentially nothing. So, um, I mean, the picks, like, they just, yeah, we didn't really care. Dallas has never cared about their picks. And, <laughs> excuse me, um, and the players that we tried, like, we all saw it. It was, it was a, a deal you do 10 times out of 10. So they thought that that was a home run, and it obviously wasn't. So you need to be able to correct that or do at least as best as you can to come back from that. And so far, they just, they haven't really done anything to prove to Luca that this is where he can win a championship. And that's unfortunate considering that Luca's a generational talent. And I think when they, when they made the Porzingis trade, mm-hmm. it kind of felt like they had their Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki combo from 2003. Right. And I think now that they have it, they have to make do with it. They have to go forward with it. Now that the chips are all in on Luca. I think that it's pretty much Luca or nothing. Whatever pleases Luca has to please Mark Cuban as well because they both want to win championships at the end of the day. Jalen, I want to transition to you on this one as well because I feel like there's a chance that Luca has a lot of power, but there is a right for him to have this much power. Do you think he has too much power? No, I don't think he does because at the end of the day, the superstar card gets played, right? And I think the biggest thing is anybody who think he has, thinks he has too much power got way too comfortable with having a silent superstar, which is the way I view it for the Dallas Mavericks. Talking about, uh, Lauren mentioned Dirk Nowitzki earlier. I think that's the circumstance. I think the idea of the day and age of the, the silent just play your play your role as that leading guy, the face of the franchise, but kind of just, you know, bring your lunch pail every day and kind of fade into the sunset. I don't really see that being Luca's style. This is a guy who's been playing pro basketball way too long to want to be sitting around kind of waiting to be able to put himself in a position when he already is a player that's asserted himself into a position to be amongst these other top candidates for MVP and these other teams that are in the mix for championships every single season. I think the other thing, too, is that when you think about where Lucas stands on everything, I don't I have a I have a hard time believing that this is all about personnel. I do think that play style has a lot to do with the way that Luca um struggles like late in some of these playoff games. Another thing that's so kind of tricky about this, right, is they've only played the Clippers. So, like, 
I think that's another thing that's like extremely important because like Kristaps is not a bad player. He had a very good regular season. It's just the Clippers are not a good matchup for him individually with the way they can switch and the fact that they play a lot smaller. They don't start Ivica Zubac against them and, and it works out really well in their favor and very bad for a guy like Kristaps Porzingis. Mm-hmm. I still think that the, uh, the Richardson trade was not a bad trade in philosophy, right? The idea of moving Seth Curry for a guy in Richardson who can pretty much be more of an off-the-ball threat that that was improving as a three-point shooter coming from, from Miami and gave them a perimeter defender, the idea made sense. I think people will go back to the Dennis Smith Jr. draft and say, you blew it. And, okay, that's fair when you talk about mm-hmm. the circumstances of that. But Jalen Brunson, I mean, legitimate legitimate but a point guard off the bench this year and I think some people could have argued that he should have been in that six man of the year conversation with the circumstances I mean even talk about some of the guys that they've gotten maximum effort out of right Dorian Finney-Smith underrated year this year Maxi Cleaver I think had he been healthy I think against the Clippers they would have had a better opportunity which says a lot when they went to seven games this um in that series and arguably were in the mix the entire time to even come out in that series on top so I think that Luca's power dynamic is exactly where it should be and I think again arguing against that kind of has you in this idea of looking too much at the Dallas Mavericks old guard and viewing that that older version of this team as what the newer version of team is supposed to be and that's just not the case so I think Luca's in just just about where he's supposed to be when it comes to his, you know, his overall mindset on what this team should look like and what they should be doing up top. And I think it's the goal that an organization wants to please their superstar. And especially when you have somebody like Luka Doncic, you have to do anything possible to make sure that he's happy. But with that being said, we've talked a lot about Luka. Let's talk a little bit about Rick Carlisle and what happens with him. Because there are a lot of rumors that he could possibly be the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. So, Lauren, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. What is the possibility that he becomes the coach of the Bucks? Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense on paper. Bud, everybody, he's been on the hot seat for a little while. Uh, Carlisle is a great X's and O's coach, and so I think he could really get the most out of someone like Giannis and even Drew Holiday and having – Having all of the pieces that he wasn't able to get in Dallas, you've got your star, and then you've got the surrounding pieces. I think Milwaukee has a great roster. Uh, they just haven't really been able to put the pieces together. So having someone like Carlisle uh, would be great, especially with someone like Giannis, who is clearly um, someone that enjoys the system, the city, the culture. He loves being in Milwaukee. So... I think that on paper it's about as good of a situation that he could ask for. And Carlisle does not – I mean, he's done the rebuild. He doesn't want to do a rebuild. So he's going to go somewhere where he's going to be in a position to compete. So on paper, the Milwaukee Bucks, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, if I had to put my money based off of everything I've heard, everything I've read, and everything I know where he ends up, uh, it's not the Bucks. Yeah, I think that the interesting thing with him going to the Bucks is that He's going to be paired up with Giannis Antetokounmpo, which essentially he's being paired up with another international superstar. And we've pretty much seen that with him and Dirk in Dallas. So I would not be surprised if Milwaukee is the destination for him. But what about you, Jalen? What's your feeling on this? 
Um, I mean, I think the biggest word that I take away from what Lauren said was system in terms of what Giannis is um, infatuated with when it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think the interesting thing about that is I feel like Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle from an X's and O's standpoint, has more of an established system in terms of what we like. If you can look on the floor and say that you feel as though you see Carlisle's impact on the floor. From an X's and O's standpoint, I said I said that was that would be the route that I go as opposed to a guy like Mike Budenholzer, where sometimes you kind of do wonder. Um, I do think it's kind of tricky, regardless though, when it comes to Rick Carlisle, because of the fact that over the last two seasons in particular, the the whole heliocentric offense thing when it comes to Luka Doncic, I think kind of is taken away from what we know Rick can do as a coach because. Luka Dodgers is so good as an individual one-on-one isolation player that you don't really see too much of his system outside of, you know, inbounds, out-of-bounds, inbounds plays, uh, um, out-of-timeout calls, different things like that. That's where you kind of feel uh, Carlisle's presence. But I think Milwaukee is an interesting destination. Um, I don't know if that's where he ends up because at the end of the day, the Bucks season isn't over yet as of when we're recording this. So that's going to have a lot to do with Budenholzer's security as well um, because, you know, Carlo obviously can't come in if Mike's still the coach. But I think the other thing, too, is just that regardless of if, if it's the Bucks or somewhere else, I think Portland's another place that's kind of interesting as well, depending on the circumstances um, with Damian Lillard. But regardless, I would say that easily with all the coaches that have been let go so far this offseason, that Rick Carlo obviously is, like, at the top of the list coaching candidate-wise. And he's somebody who's always been in the playoff picture. He's always in the championship picture. He was in the championship picture in Detroit when he was coaching the Pistons. And then he was able to win a championship in Dallas. And then when we're talking about him possibly going to Portland as well, you pair him up with players like Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Carmelo Anthony. That's a team that could possibly win the championship the next year. I mean, this that was a team that was coming off of a Western Conference Finals appearance two years ago. So I think that both Milwaukee and Portland are good fits for him. But let's talk about Carlisle's replacement because there were a lot of names thrown around for this. And, Lauren, I want to start with you because you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I want to get your full point on this one. Who do you think fills the role of Rick Carlisle? Personally, I think Jamal Mosley is the best answer. Uh, I think if you're looking at what you need to accomplish and surrounding or with how chaotic this has been he is your best option he's young he has great relationships with all of the players they would all be behind him he knows the player personnel there's that would be about as seamless of a transition as you could ask for and he has great relationships with players around the league Tristan I don't know if you guys saw it Tristan Thompson tweeted that uh, the Mavs need to hire Jamal Mosley and I think a lot of other people share that same sentiment so to me it's him I know one of the biggest questions amongst among Mavs Twitter uh, even though the, the majority are, are behind that, uh, is the fact that he doesn't have head coaching experience. Uh, that being said, every time there's a, a coaching vacancy that, that comes up, we're all kind of holding on tight, knowing that it's only a matter of time before Jamal Mosley becomes a head coach somewhere else. So I think it would be a fantastic decision to make him put, have him fill that role. Um, I think it's the most likely option, but I've seen crazy things happen, and especially right now. So I don't know if they're going to go say, hey, no, we need someone that has experience and, and, and come out of the blue with someone like 
I don't even want to say it. So never. I, I I really don't know if they're gonna if they're gonna go that route. I would be surprised though if they did that. I think that that would rub a lot of people the wrong way. Um, like that would rub the locker room such a like if you bring in say you bring in Jason Kidd. All Mavs love. We all love Jason Kidd. Whatever. None of Mavs Twitter wants to see Jason Kidd get that head coach job. We all are like, Mm-mm, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. And we all know that Jamal Mosley, like, you've got a young group. You've got a young head coach. He, it makes the most sense. And so if they slip that up and do not and work to go a different direction, that would rub a lot of the locker room the wrong way. So I want to read you guys a tweet from Tim McMahon. He said that Luka Doncic is a strong supporter of Mavs assistant coach Jamal Mosley. He's got the things that are needed for a head coach, Doncic said, after Mosley's one-game fill-in for a win over the Knicks this season. He can be the head coach for sure. So we kind of know what the superstar thinks. Do the Mavs give in to the superstar? Jalen, I want to transition to you on this one. Is it Jamal Mosley or is it Jason Kidd? I think it's Mosley. I think, first of all, the endorsement by Luka is huge. That's number one. I think number two is just that this is the kind of franchise that I feel like making an in-house move is just their safer bet and translates better not only through their locker room, like Lauren said, but overall their production on the floor in terms of not having to kind of start up. But, I mean, either way, I guess there's a new system in place to a certain extent. They kind of need one with the fact that they, they need to be able to get the ball out of Lucas' hands and be able to help some of these other guys be more productive on the floor. But I think that that's something that they can transition in, uh, into a lot smoother with a guy that they've already been around. I think the other thing, too, is that when it comes to this franchise, like I said before, it seems like one of those things where making an in-house move specifically for um the fan base, I think actually seems like the safer bet overall in terms of what's accepted by Mavs Twitter, for example, as Lauren stated before. Um, and I draw this from other, like, I guess this is more of like a college reference, but I, I, I make that same draw from like some of the Blue Blood schools that have been most recently announced um, to be moving on from head coaches, whether it be for stepping down situations or something else. When we talk about Roy Williams stepping away from the Tar Heels, they decided to go the in-house route. The same thing with the Duke Blue Devils. Yes, Krzyzewski is not going to be coming back after next season, but they've already got a, got a coach lined up that's within their ranks as well. I think that just seems like the kind of thing that when you have a storied program, or in this case, a franchise that has a very particular way of doing things over a very well-documented length of history, I think that going with a full-blown outside name is almost too drastic of a drastic change, which Splash Moves does not sound out of Mark Cuban's like forte, so that's the one thing that makes this whole thing a wild card as to whether or not they would make the play. I think the Jason Kidd thing is like mad interesting, and of course I had texted it to you earlier that it was something that was mentioned, but at the same time, I just feel like that's like, that's such a... I don't watch the games, but I remember using him on 2K kind of like <laughs> kind of response to say that, like, yeah, Jason Kidd should totally be the Mavs coach because like, you know, ex point guard, Luka Doncic, current point guard for Dallas. OK, definitely translates the same way. And it's just not true. You know what <clears> I mean? So I personally think that Mosley's the better fit for these circumstances. And I think that although the pressure is on in Dal- Dallas, so to speak, 
you still have roster control heavily over the fact that, again, we know that you're going to have Luka for the next five years. It's going to be a lot about the movement around him that's going to be more important. So the Mavs are in a circumstance where they are the lucky ones. They have the superstar locked up, right? There's a lot of other teams that don't have that aspect of their their franchise set up where they have that go-to guy that they know they're going to lean on for, you know, seven to eight years of their early portion of their career. And Dallas already has that. I say that you go with a guy who you know is going to be able to fit within that locker room early rather than only adding another year or two worth of uh, getting your feet wet by getting an, uh, a head coach that's hasn't been in the system. And I think going with Jamal Mosley is the better option, considering that a lot of the players like him already. Your superstar likes him. This just seems like the best fit for your team. So when we talk about the head coaching position, we also talk about the future. And you mentioned roster control, Jalen. I want to talk about two players in general, Chris Asporzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr. Chris Asporzingis has voiced his displeasure about being in the organization, and Tim Hardaway is a free agent. So, Lauren, what happens to both those players? Um, well, I'll start with Tim Hardaway Jr. because I think it's it's relatively short. He's going to get a lot of money. If you look at the free agent class, we all know this. It's not the greatest. So he's going to demand a lot of money, um, but he likes Dallas, and we have the money to pay him. So I'd like to think that we make one of our top priorities being to retain Tim Hardaway Jr., whether it's, you know, four for 80, four, whatever it ends up being, you you have to keep him. So, um if they somehow manage to lose him because he goes somewhere, I, it's, that's going to be pretty bad, a, a bad look. Uh, because the Porzing, because to transition to the Porzi- Porzingis situation, you can't force that. You can't, everyone knows that it's not a good fit. He doesn't necessarily want to be here. He's injury prone. You don't have a whole lot of leverage right now. So. It's they've got to be very careful with how they handle that situation. You can't force a trade. If you're putting out feelers, I know that there are some teams out there that have interest. I know Washington, Charlotte, obviously not great teams that you, in terms of like what you're going to get back, I don't know what that's going to look like. I also don't know what Dallas, what they're saying, hey, this is what we need back. Because if you're going to say, hey, we need to get a second star back, I hate to break it to you, but that's probably not going to happen. So you need to be realistic with what your return package is going to be. And if you're getting trade offers and they're not good, you can't afford to sell for pennies on the dollar. You, you, you got to, you would be better off getting in, getting your new coach in there and saying, okay, well, Porzingis is going to have an entire offseason healthy to maybe get stronger, add a little bit more to his bag, and then you just hold on. But you cannot force this situation and rush it just for the sake of getting him out of there and getting someone new in. So I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, I've seen some, I've seen some Mavs people talk about a Jeremy Grant swap. I've even seen some Pistons people suggest a Jeremy Grant swap, and that makes no sense to me. If somehow they can swindle that, I'll be over the moon. But I don't see why that would even be something that happens. Again, I don't know how other teams are, are viewing their situation. I've heard, I've, ta- I've heard New Orleans thrown out there as far as like a complimentary Zion KP duo. What that would look like? Are we looking at Lonzo? Are you trying to put some I, – I don't know what's going to happen, but they need to be very careful with how they handle that situation because they do need to trade him. Don't get me wrong. They need to trade him, but you can't force it and you can't you can't will a trade to happen out of thin air. So whatever happens, it needs to be approved by Luca, 
and it needs to you need to have a plan moving forward. You can't afford to. I think the Pacers are also something to keep an eye on. Pacers is is where my kind of where I, my preference because I think they've got a lot of things. They don't have they don't have your like clear cut second star that you're going to get in return for Porzingis, but you might be able to get something back that or someone back that's either a quality starter or that's going to change how this team uh, is run. And and I think that that's important because if you try to do the same thing you did last year, it's probably not going to work. So I don't know. I think it's more like, like Porzingis gets moved. I think that that's incredibly likely. I think we would all agree that, but I do think that there's a timeline and a scenario in which he doesn't get traded and does start the season on this team because they really can't afford to just ship him off for as a salary dump that that won't work. That's a very interesting perspective with Porzingis being moved not only to the Pacers, but also you mentioned to the Pistons with Jeremy Grant. So, Jalen, I actually want to get your thoughts on that first before I ask you about Tim Hardaway, because that's a very interesting trade scenario that Lauren just mentioned. Yeah, I, I was just thinking the same thing. I'm like, dang, we can't really let that slide. She's like, we got we to gotta trade him. You have to move him. It's just about how you go about moving him. I find that really interesting just out of the fact that I do think it's kind of – uh, weird that there's this, uh, drastic wavelength of what your belief on Christos Porzingis, uh, Zingas' trade value is, mm-hmm. right? There's the idea of trading for the superstar, right? Um, in terms of being able to get that second star for Luka Doncic. That's toughy because once you factor in Christos Porzingis' health, does that sound like a fair trade anymore? Right. But then you talk about the upside of what he's able to do on the floor. And again, outside of taking on the Clippers, in the playoffs, you pretty much can't argue with the productivity that he had on the floor, at least this season when he was on the floor. So then it goes back into his favor. So the polarizing takes on what you think you can get for Christoph Porzingis are, are so interesting that I think that's what makes his trade um, of tradeability so like vast, right? So let's go into the, the trades that were mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about Indiana. The tricky part about Indiana is that they do have a lot of stuff, right? You can go down the list of just everything that they have between Brogdon. You talk about the fact that they just acquired Karis LeVert, who has his own little injury history as well, so maybe that kind of adds up in a certain way. You talk about the fact that T.J. Warren is a guy that's coming off of injury, and that could go one of two ways. Um, the only tricky part that's, that, that I have with that is just the fact that I feel like in that move, you don't get away with that trade unless you involve another team. Um, in order to somehow get off of Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis. And I almost feel like DeMontis Sabonis is that one because of the fact that I feel like Sabonis and KP are almost scary redundant. Not relatively similar because I still feel like KP has a lot more to offer as like a ball handler on the sneaky tip. And he does stretch the floor in a way that Miles Turner did. So I think that's something that could be interesting in terms of Indiana, but I think that they would take a significant hit defensively and for a front court to be like that, you know, porous around the basket as uh, in terms of rim, uh, rim defense, I think that that's kind of a toughie for them unless they know that they're going to be able to get something else to kind of make up for the loss of Miles Turner defensively. You talk about Detroit and that one is, that one's weird too, because I feel like the question is, what does that lineup look like, right? Is it, is this a circumstance where Dorian Finney-Smith is like a three um, for them all full-time and you have a guy like Jeremy Grant playing the four? Um, this has a lot of impact on what you feel like Tim Hardaway Jr. is as a player in terms of targeting a front-court player in some of these trades as opposed to a guard. 
Um, I think the other, like, Lauren, I'll swing it to you this way because mm-hmm. there's another trade that's, like, coming to mind uh, just in terms of being posted is a lot of this, like, C.J. McCollum swapping mm-hmm. has taken place. That's probably the one that's at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. So I know in name that's, like, something that I feel like a Mavs fan would at least be intrigued by. But overall, in terms of the fit on both sides between Portland and Dallas, how do you feel about a trade like that in its likelihood or just your overall, like, feelings about it in terms of what if you would even want it? Yeah, I, no, so I definitely want it. I think CJ has the experience. He He's a guy that can go get a bucket, and he can handle the ball. So I would definitely welcome that trade. Obviously, you would have some – you would have some uh, front court issues to then address. What's your front court? Because you, you kind of don't really have one at that point. Uh, but the reason I think it's interesting is CJ has more value than Porzingis, but Portland needs to switch it up, and there's some chatter around Yusuf Nurkic and his his future with the team. What's that going to look like? So uh, Portland has some decisions to make, but I think that that's a trade that Dallas would like because you need to be able to defer uh, – you need to be able to pass the ball to somebody who you can you know that can create their own shot, and we don't have that guy. Tim is a great catch and shoot guy, and he's showed at the kind of towards the end of the season uh, an ability to really attack off the dribble and and be aggressive, um, and that's great. But he's not your number two on a championship team. So if you get someone like CJ in there, it's a good start, and he's reliable. He's a good teammate. He's a good locker room guy. I would love to have CJ McCollum on this team. Um, but I'm not sure what you're going to have to add to that trade to get something like done, like that done. At the same time, if you have someone that you know is going to play the majority of the games that season and they're, they will show up in the playoffs, you do it. If you have to add Jalen Brunson, you do it. They will do it. So, um, that's unfortunately the situation that they find themselves in if you have to attach Josh Green or Jalen Brunson because you are dealing with a star who's injury prone and on a significant contract. That's what you're going to have to do, and they have to be willing to do it because I, I think the CJ thing is very, very interesting because if you give um, Portland a different type of player, like this is an opportunity to shake things up. I think kind of to just circle back to the Pistons thing real quick, to me the Pistons thing only happens if you can somehow convince the Pistons that having Porzingis as your number one option is like he can he can somehow come back to this New York Porzingis. You're, that's the only way you're getting that done because to me – if you're if you're Dallas trying to pitch a Porzingis for Jeremy Grant, if I'm Troy Weaver, one, I'm like, come on, man. But two, what does that realistically look like? Are you going to be rolling out a, a starting lineup of Porzingis and Plumley or Porzingis and Isaiah Stewart? No, that doesn't that doesn't work. That doesn't work. So I don't really see that being a like for that that being the main reason. I can see maybe saying, hey, look, we can. We can try to try to convince someone that Porzingis being a number one option is is best for his game, um, but you got to look at the other team. What's that then going to look like for them? And to me, that just doesn't make sense for the Pistons. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I do think Portland is an interesting one. I was honestly I was very terrified of of the Kemba thing because I felt like that just was made to happen a Kemba for Porzingis swap. So when I saw that trade this morning, I didn't hate it, but I'm also still kind of holding on for dear life because. I won't be surprised if OKC tries to flip uh, Kemba again. And so, if you're then, do you? If you're Dallas, are you still interested in Kemba Walker? And if you are, if you are, if you're OKC, are you 
What are your thoughts on, I mean, if you're rolling out Porzingis and Darius Baisley, do you hate that? I don't know if you hate that. So, uh, lots of questions, but, uh, they had, the, the biggest thing is, what do you want for Porzingis? Are you gonna try to find a way to maybe get into the draft? Are you gonna call Cleveland and say, hey, I'll give you Kevin, or Porzingis and maybe Jalen Brunson for Kevin Love and like the fourth pick in the draft, or the fifth pick in the draft? No. No, no, no. We don't need that. Because you're not going to get a second star on Lucas' timeline through the draft. I love the draft. It'd be very fun. That's not the way to go about it, and I'd be very surprised if they tried to do something like that. I think that that's a terrible idea, and I think that they know that. So I think CJ would be number one. Number two, I think, would be the Pacers and trying to do a Jalen Brunson, Porzingis, and maybe even Josh Green plus picks for Miles Turner, and maybe you can try to get Jeremy Lamb or Malcolm Brogdon in there. I don't think you're getting Malcolm Brogdon, but if you can try to get Miles Turner, Miles Turner's not going to create anything for you, but you're finally going to have some defense. It's going to be as close to Tyson Chandler as you're getting, and you, at that point, if you're off of Porzingis and you have someone like Miles Turner who still has room to grow, um, maybe you can go out and pitch to free agents, and maybe you get your second start there. Uh, so I just... Uh, there are lots of things to decide, but the number one thing needs to be what can we realistically get in return and can we get that and then see like what the next step is going to be or are we going to have to get that and wait to see how they fit together and then and decide from there. Like you've got to have a plan and it's got to be, you got to be able to execute it. Yeah. And that's a lot to unpack with a, with a bunch of trade suggestions. Yeah, sorry. I, I just with, threw a lot at you. <laughs> no, this is, this is actually really interesting because I think the CJ one is most likely to happen considering that CJ McCollum is the number one guy on a lot of teams trade boards essentially because of the fact that he's the perfect second option essentially. If you put him on the same court as Luca, I'm really interested to see how that pair meshes on the floor. I think when we're talking about Indiana, I think that there's a chance they are able to get Miles Turner. I would maybe suggest that they trade Sabonis too. And then if you look at Detroit as well, like with Jeremy Grant. I'm not really sure what the likelihood of Detroit trading Jeremy Grant would be, but there's a chance that they may trade somebody like Isaiah Stewart and then some picks as well. But, again, it's very interesting. I'm not really sure, like you said, that uh, Troy Weaver would make that move. But that's a very interesting a very interesting trade to see if Jeremy Grant goes to the Mavericks for Kristaps Porzingis. But we mentioned this Kemba trade. And I think it's time that we really get into this Kemba trade because Kemba Walker, we found out earlier today, as another Woj bomb, traded to Oklahoma City for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a second-round pick. Jalen, I'm just going to start with you. Who won this trade? That's a weird way to phrase a question about a trade that is uh, almost doesn't even feel fully finalized yet. But um, so I'm going to I'm going to take what probably seems like the obvious answer, depending on what camp you're in. But I honestly think that the Thunder won. Right. I think that being able to come out with 16th pick huge. I think the fact that you're able to. Reverse swindle. Is that like a thing like basically finesse in a way the uh, newly acquired, newly uh upgraded Brad Stevens into bringing his boy Al Horford back for Kimbo, which was kind of the reason why they brought Kimbo in was to get off Al Horford. The money in the math is always a very intriguing thing here on the podcast to do off the top. But I think the biggest thing that I look at is just like 
there's two things that come to mind when I first think about this trade that defines who you think wins or loses. It's the personnel that's left after after the dust settles and the circumstances moving forward. So there's on the Celtic side, you just log jammed your center position significantly. And I think that's their cute way of saying we're finally addressing it because that's one of their biggest holes so far in the last two to three years is their ability to be aggressive on the glass and be effective down low. Al Horford was probably their most productive center in probably the last five years. They tried to get slick with it by uh, having Enos Cantor for a hot minute and it didn't do a ton for them in terms of that. He was productive, but I don't I wouldn't say he was more productive than a guy like Al Horford was for the Celtics, for example. Um, I think that they don't understand what they have in Robert Williams yet. And I think that's another thing that's really interesting. But you look at the fact that now they have Al Horford, they have Moses Brown, who's acquired in this trade as well, has extreme upside, but so does Robert Williams, like I mentioned beforehand. Grant Williams is another guy who is already fighting for dear life to get PT. Taco Fall is still the biggest mascot I've ever seen in my life, despite the fact that he had an interesting uh, closeout to the season that also makes him an interesting player on this roster as like one of the like six guys they've drafted that they can't seem to get on the floor for longer than like two to five minutes a game. So I think that that's the thing that that's really intriguing with them, but they still have that trade exception money from moving Gordon Hayward to the Charlotte Hornets. So that's one of the things that kind of still puts them in a pretty decent light in terms of this offseason and making any further moves. And then you look at OKC and it's like there's really two ways that you could go about it as OKC is still kind of like, you know, still come out of it feeling pretty good about yourself. Number one is the draft looks sweet. I mean, I think what's it? I think they have like five or six of like the first like 30 something picks in this upcoming draft alone. Like, first of all, what in the world? Like for a deep draft, you just cheat coded your way into like a starting five if you were really feeling frisky. That's the first thing. The other thing is that when you think about the draft in regards to that, they have the the chance to, to be on the slick and swindle the Houston out of a top five pick where they get two of the top five guys and that's not even factoring in the fact that they have another pick like they just like from what they just acquired just barely outside of the lottery which most dudes are not even sure when when you look at everybody past the top five six through 30 is like they could go in the lottery or be in the second round so you really almost can't really miss in that circumstance either and then when it comes to Kimba right if you decide to keep him you just have yourself an interesting Chris Paul dynamic where I'm not saying that he elevates that team in the way Chris Paul did, but you can get away with a year of walking around with some veterans. And if you overachieve, you still got the picks on you. So it's not, you have nothing to lose as being a good team that's competitive and it looks good franchise wise to, to your fan base. But if you don't, well, dude, you just acquired a trade asset that probably is still pretty significant on the market considering like lauren said earlier that the market so far for the for free agency isn't that crazy there's the chris paul that's named out there that wants a four-year deal that's kind of tough considering his age there's a lot of circumstances revolving around guys like lonzo ball who's like a restricted free agent so it's going to come down to matching salaries and if not beating out whatever the pelicans offer him there's Kyle Lowry, but then it's like Kyle Lowry for a team like Oklahoma City doesn't really fit either. So you can get away with keeping Kimba for a year, or if you want to be able to trade him for additional assets, which, again, would not be the craziest thunder thing to do, 
I think no matter what, the Thunder could do whatever they want, however they want to do it, and still know that they have crazy assets on the table to do whatever they want to moving forward. So I think it's kind of easy to say that the Thunder won. Um, The only tricky part about it is the Celtics are still ready, like, now, right? So, like, in a win-now scenario, the trade itself still wasn't the craziest thing in the world. I just think if you're talking about the overall weight moving forward for both teams, I think that OKC just has more power over what their future looks like. So is it easy to say that this is the second time this season that Boston was reverse fleeced? <laughs> because I think, yeah. well, you know, in all seriousness, yeah. we talk about how Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden make the best possible big three. But Boston fleeced Brooklyn years ago by rebuilding and trading away Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry. And they did not win a championship in the eight years since that trade. They made the conference finals three times, but they never won the championship. Is this kind of a scenario where they may or may not have been reverse fleeced again because they lose the 16th overall pick? They do fill their positional hole at center by getting some more depth with Al Horford and Moses Brown, who granted Moses Brown was pretty good when he was with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Is this a situation where they've been reverse fleeced again, Lauren? Ah, uh, God, that's that's a... I mean, yeah, I guess. I, I think this was a terrible trade. I really do. Because you're going to pay, be paying Al Horford $25 million through 2023. And that is just not a sufficient way to be spending your cap, in my opinion. Uh, I, I like Al Horford, and he actually had a decent season for OKC. It just was kind of like, you don't really fit our timeline. You've still got future in the league. Like, we'll respect your, you can sit down, all that stuff, and we'll we'll deal with it later. But for Boston, I understand the urgency to move Kemba. I fully understand that. And they absolutely, like, bringing someone in on paper, someone in, like, Al Horford, who knows the system, has experience. Like, that's not a bad move. But when you take the money into consideration, especially when you have two young all-stars, I don't like that move. But the biggest thing is the fact that they attach the pick. I know that Boston, We all, I think we all would agree that Boston doesn't need to keep building through the draft. That's not the case, but just go ask Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters at the end of the bench. But they they could have, like, this This draft is crazy. You just said it, Jalen. You This draft is crazy. You could have used that pick to go out and get somebody. I mean, Dennis Schroeder was just traded for, like, the 20-whatever pick or last year. Like, you could have done something with that pick, and you used it to move off of Kimba. So for OKC, I love the move because, like you said, Nothing to lose. And this could turn into something where Kemba comes into OKC. He's playing next to Shea. I mean, he's not playing next to Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. Like, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. So he could come out. And I mean, it's not like he had he, di- he didn't have any good games with Boston. He had good games with Boston. So it could kind of be like the Chris Paul situation where maybe he doesn't lead them to the playoffs uh, as this veteran presence. But maybe he's putting up excellent numbers and teams are looking around saying, hey, we could use a guy like that. And it kind of changes the league perspective on Kemba Walker. Um, so it was a great move for OKC. They have zero to lose. And the fact that they, one, somehow turned Dennis Schroeder to Danny Green, Danny Green to Al Horford, Al Horford to Kemba Walker in a first-round pick. 
What? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So uh, all the praise in the world to OKC. Getting that pick was was fantastic. Why not keep trying to just hit in the draft? Um, and if, I mean, if you're looking at a, a team full of young 20-year-olds with upside who you can't play them all because you have so many of them, well, then package some of them and go trade them somewhere. Like, there's always teams that you need younger guys with upside. So OKC is doing a fantastic job. And I... I'm secretly hoping Kemba sticks around with OKC because I love Kemba as a player. I think he's a great dude. I do. I and 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 young guards can always learn. Like Shea having Shea having the opportunity to learn from Chris Paul and then turn around and learn from Kemba Walker. That's awesome. So and I love Shea. So um, I hope that that that's that they kind of stick together and that would be fun to watch. Won't be surprised if they do flip him. But. Truly, when I woke up, I was telling you guys, I think before we got started, when I woke up, I did not think that I read the trade correctly because it just, to me, it seems so one-sided. It's it's crazy. I'll tell you guys this. Oklahoma City gets to the playoffs next year. Sam Presti should be executive of the year next year. A hundred percent. And can I throw this wild card out at you guys? Um, if you've got all, if they somehow land, if they somehow get Houston's pick, here's what I'm, here's something I'm throwing out there. You package however many picks it takes. I don't even really, I don't even really think it matters. And you go call New Orleans and say, I know you're kind of not really feeling the fit between Brandon Ingram and Zion. So can I take Brandon and Ingram off of your hands for however many first round picks you want? And I would go from there. I think that that would be a very underrated, excellent move for OKC to, to consider. Don't know that it happens because, but New Orleans is, they're looking about as good as Dallas right now, so it's something you consider, in my opinion. CGM Lauren working with trade assets. I see you. She said, she said, if you give me something to work with, I can put you in position. <laughs> They've got so much to work with. It's crazy. Go. It's crazy. I don't think that's crazy at all to try to attempt something like that. I think that, um, see, the, the biggest thing that's so interesting with me, too, when you look at something like that is, when it comes to Oklahoma City, right, the biggest thing is this uh, draft accumulation that they've uh, made um, over the last pretty much last year, year and a half. Pretty much your decisions moving forward with those draft assets are going to determine how you feel about Shea Gilgis Alexander. I know that sounds weird, but you have to think about his timeline. He's not like an older player or anything crazy by that stretch right but he's in that circumstance going into year four year five where he's on this uptick he's improved every single season so far um and I think that you know you fall into a Boston situation if it's every year you're adding this litany of picks to your roster and trying to figure out who can actually get playing time and I think that although Oklahoma City can get away with that initially, I think eventually when you got to start paying guys, that's going to get extremely complicated when you have that accumulation of top guys um, drafted one, five, uh, late, late first round, things like that adding up. You can ask Boston about it in terms of having that kind of situation take place. So I think the biggest thing is that Sam Presti is going, I think the reason why the Brandon Ingram trade isn't the craziest thing in the world is because I, first of all, I think interesting pairing one, two wise. Um, second of all, again, when it comes to the picks, I think that it really just comes down to where they land. 
um, because I think you can get away with if they get one and five, for example, I think you can get away with moving five, 16 and a player still come out with Cade and still make a play at a guy like Brandon Ingram. Now the money part of that is where things get interesting. Right. But nonetheless, I think that it puts them in a position where you somehow go from being the team that's going to be building out for 2027, right? The, the, the presumed 2027 champ just out of the fact that they'll have 10 million first rounders. Or you can be the team that by 2022-23 puts yourself back in that position where you're one more player away from having that three-player core you had before. And I think that's something that's really interesting on the tape. So I think, yeah, Oklahoma City, yeah, Lauren, I'm with you when you with with your main statement of saying that, like, when you wake up and you read the trade, you just kind of wonder, like, how, like, how could, right, somebody, how, how could you view this other than the Thunder winning out of the fact that they were able to come out of, come out of this with pretty much everything you could ask for and then some. I think the Celtics got tricked by knowing that they can only play around with these draft picks, but for mm-hmm. so much longer. And so something that Danny Ainge wouldn't do, Brad Stevens had the gumption to do in probably probably the worst set of circumstances. So I think I think the trade package I think the trade packages across the board are gonna be ridiculous. And I think that Oklahoma City can get extremely creative and a Brandon Ingram swap is probably just at the start of how tricky this whole thing <laughs> no is if they really want to play around with it. And I think like you guys mentioned, there's a chance that this team can not only make the playoffs, but like they have so much young talent in the future that they can be a consistent playoff contender. And then by 2027, like Jalen said, that there's a chance that this team has a lot of picks, but they can end up winning a championship that year. So with that being said, what does this trade do for Oklahoma City? Does this make them a playoff contender right off the bat with Kemba, like it did with Chris Paul? Or are they missing the playoffs regardless? I'll start with Lauren on this one. Personally, uh, I don't think it makes them a playoff contender. Uh, the the West is so, so tough. Um, and, 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 I mean, the Pelican, the Warriors are coming back. Like, there is too tough. So I, I think I don't want to doubt Kemba. I don't like, you know, doubting guys like that. But um, he's got a very, very steep uphill battle. So I'd say it's more likely than not that they still miss the playoffs. Jalen, I also kind of have to say the same thing or ask the same question with you because – I feel like with this team, they have a chance to make the playoffs, but like Lauren said, by the chance of getting Brandon Ingram, this team could be a definite playoff contender. So if this team is able to get Brandon Ingram with the picks that they have, what is the likelihood that this team make the playoffs? I mean, okay, if we're factoring in Brandon Ingram. That makes their likelihood a lot better. But the, I think the biggest thing about this is, A, I don't know if that's the case because of the fact that the Pelicans just invested so much money in him. So as crazy of a trade as that would be, that would be David Griffin. David Griffin signifying a lot or signaling a lot to a guy like Zion Williamson, for example. Um and I don't necessarily know what that signal would be, right, if you move a guy like B.I., because you're also talking about the fact that Lonzo Ball's future with the Pelicans is uncertain. Josh Hart's future with the Pelicans is uncertain. Um, a guy like Eric Bledsoe just flat out needs to be off that team. Uh, a guy in Steven Adams 
doesn't fit very well next to next to Zion Williamson. So I think the Brandon Ingram aspect of things, as dope of a trade scenario as that is, I think the likelihood is so slim just out of the mere fact that like they have way too many questions as it is coach and roster wise. I think the main thing is, I, first of all, I don't think this team wants to make the playoffs. Let me just like get that out the way. There, there, there are three goals when you acquire Kemba Walker in this kind of trade. Number one is you make him look good so that it is easier for him to be a trade asset in 2022. Because when his money is less, right, or at least he has less years on his contract by then, he's an easier trade set, trade asset already financially. If he looks better on a team where he's going to have the ball in his hands, like Lauren said earlier, about being basically being a guy next to Shea Gilles-Alexander that's pretty much going to have free reign in the backcourt, He's going to be able to play or show that he can still play at an all-star level, and that's all OKC needs in order to be able to flip him again into something significant. That's number one. Number two is that 16th pick, along with all the millions of the other picks they have just within the first, like, I think 35 to 36 picks in this draft. We're talking about them fleecing Houston in terms of the, the, the ping pong balls falling the right way. They could just go ahead and use some of these picks, package them, and move up anyway. Right. Like that's the other circumstance, because they could pick on the fact that Houston is desperate for picks and still end up in that top spot out of the mere fact that although Houston needs talent like a top in talent, they also just need to flat out flesh out their roster with the fact that a lot of the guys on their team are not solidified. I think there's maybe only two or three guys that I feel confident are going to be on this roster two, three years from now with the, the headliner probably being Jay Sean Tate, which is. A, a good player, shout out to him for being first team all rookie. And I think he was an underrated player for that team because of the fact that he he was on a team that was so bad. But I I don't think that's something that they can say they can hang their hat on. So I think their ability to accumulate an array of talent as opposed to one top end talent is something that Houston would be interested in exploring. But I think some of these other teams that could land in the in the top five also could potentially be talked out of a top five pick depending on what OKC throws at them and with the amount of picks they have they have a chance to do whatever they want in that circumstance and then the third thing when it comes to OKC is this regardless of anything that you decide to do moving forward I think that one of the biggest things that needs to come out of this next season regardless is you have to get an understanding of what you want to do with Shea Gilgis Alexander moving forward. Because again, I'm not I'm not trying to like make it sound like Shea is an older player or anything crazy by that stretch because and he's one of my favorite younger players in the league. But he's an RFA after next season. He's a restricted free agent after next season and it's up to you to decide on whether or not you want to sign a guy like that to a max contract. So those are their three those are their three circumstances, not only going into this offseason, but throughout the next throughout next season is Kimball creating Kimball Walker into a legitimate trade asset to flip, looking at your own trade picks that you have and being able to use it to acquire top end talent rather than just having that act accumulation of picks. Because, again, like I said, we have a very good sample size from the Celtics that having a lot of picks doesn't mean a lot if you don't do anything with them and. There's more there's more misses than hits, which means at that circumstance, you're better off lowering your chances of just grabbing a million players and just finding top end talent higher up on the draft by trading up. And then the third thing, like I said before, is 
Shea Gilders Alexander. If this is your dude, you need to know. Like, you need to know by the end of next season because you have to ink pen the paper with a potential max contract after. So I think Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City is not worried about making the playoffs. If they do, again, it doesn't hurt them. They have too much draft capital to be worried about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they're worried about that. I think they have other goals in mind that could be way more beneficial to them in seasons down the line. And I think it's interesting because Shea is in, like, another position where we're not really sure, like, what his fit now is going to be. Because two years ago, he was the second or third option on that Chris Paul team. This past season, he was the first option. Now what is his role going to be? Is he going to still have the keys to the team? Because I think now with Kemba Walker, I'm not really sure if Kemba Walker is going to be a second option, essentially. I think he may want to be first option. But I think that Jalen made a pretty good point that I think this is probably the year where Oklahoma City finds out what they have with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. But this team right now, if they play their cards right with the draft lottery, who knows how many picks they're going to have. They already have the 16th overall pick. There's a chance that they can have two top five picks, especially in a draft that's loaded with a lot of talent like Kate Cunningham, Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green, and more. This is maybe the most loaded draft of all time, possibly. To close out the episode, let's talk about another piece of news that just broke a couple of hours ago, and Jalen brought this to my attention. The New Orleans Pelicans possibly leaving New Orleans in 2024 when their lease ends. Lauren, I want to start with you. What's your reaction to the New Orleans Pelicans possibly leaving New Orleans in 2024? Um, You know, it's it's interesting because a lot of people have talked about Vegas, a lot of people have talked about Seattle, all these all these expansion teams or even just relocation destination possibilities. But uh thing about New Orleans is cuz for a minute there everybody had their has had their eyes on Minnesota and they still might. But the thing about New Orleans is when they drafted Zion, it was like, "All right, this isn't just a town for the New Orleans Saints. Like we have got a guy that is like and there are already questions about where he sees himself as a long-term fit with the Pel- with that organization. And you already got a coach. You, you hired a coach after one year. You got a coach out of there. You have a guy in Lonzo Ball who has a good relationship with Zion, uh, who you don't really see to be a valuable young player. So um, New Orleans, like, the pressure is on because to have to go through a massive relocation and, like, that's a lot. And so the pressure is on in terms of, that that looming, knowing that 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 the contract is ending, and, and you might have to do that, but also with Zion and and whether or not he wants to be there, because if he's looking at, hey, maybe the grass might be greener somewhere else, or let's just look at the era that we're in, and it's not out of the question to say, hey, I want to go somewhere else. Obviously, not so early, but give it, you know, two years, maybe even a year, and they don't do anything, then that's a conversation that I mean might not be unheard of. So especially if, say, in a year, like a year sounds so quick, but say in a year, maybe they do trade Brandon Ingram. Maybe they trade him for someone that's like a terrible fit or or somebody, they, maybe they just swing and a miss. Maybe they go through yet another coach and things are looking real bad in New Orleans. If you're if Zion were to out of nowhere say, hey, uh, I'm going to force a trade, would that really shock anybody? I don't know. And so my reaction is there are a lot of questions that New Orleans has to address and they have to handle it the right way because if they don't, 
then yeah, you're going to have to be looking at some other cities. And that, I mean, that won't surprise me, but they, there is still time. There is time to correct it and to stay in New Orleans, but uh, the the pressure is definitely on. They've got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do indeed, because you mentioned they need a new head coach and Zion may not be there for the long term. I mean, we've heard a lot of rumors about him leaving and going to a different team. I think when we're talking about the long term, I think Jalen has been pretty critical of this New Orleans team because the front office, like you mentioned, has been a mess. They now need a new head coach and their star player pretty much is considering leaving. And then you talk about a bunch of players that aren't in their future plans, like Lonzo Ball and possibly Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and then players who just don't simply fit, like Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe. Jalen, you were the one who broke the news to me, so I just want to get your opinion on this. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about it is just the mere fact that I think this is a team who, like, again, they're in a set of circumstances where when you're in Saints country, right, that's the way that you kind of have to view New Orleans. You're in a circumstance where financially there's not a lot you can do. There's this idea that with a franchise like the Pelicans, um, they're a mom and pop shop kind of running basketball. And I'm not super mad at that when you think about the fact that this is a franchise that's not really in the uh, the bracket to be, you know, paying above the luxury tax. They're already not in the greatest market in terms of being able to acquire free agents. They've already had a superstar leave due to, I mean, not only front office blunders, but of course, I think the stage just wasn't big enough for him. You're talking about Anthony Davis. I think the circumstances with Zion Williamson also has a little bit to do with that because I think that when you have a asset like that, um, in a market that small, I don't think you're really uh maximizing the value that that kind of thing provide that that kind of player provides um i think the biggest thing that comes to mind is just where like right like i think 2024 is so interesting in terms of their timeline it's specifically because their lease um for i guess the smoothie king arena is uh is going to be ending and there was to be the idea of renewal or moving to a different city i think where they would move is kind of more um influential than just the decision to maybe in the lease and move so i think that moving forward the biggest thing when you pay attention to new orleans is their front office is in a very intriguing situation because i think that david griffin i think that 2024 date also has a foreshadowing for david griffin as well um that might be a little bold but i think that his job security is not as like safe as he might think it is after moving on from stan van i think he gets one more coach for a year or two maybe three to kind of see what they've got developing and if it doesn't work when they move he moves too and i think that's kind of something that should be kind of chronicled between now and then and i think that'll be attached to some of the moves that he does between now and that time frame if he's still in the front office that long yeah and there's definitely a lot of questions like you mentioned with the front office because i think david griffin's probably the next person up possibly in the hot seat so that's definitely going to be something to watch out for also the new coach possibly zion leaving a lot of questions and a lot of cause for concern within the new orleans pelicans organization that's all we have for today's episode so i just want to throw it to lauren real quick just to uh, ask if she has anything to promote and where we can find her on social media. 
Yeah, so first and foremost, thank you guys so much for having me back. I always love talking everything that happens on the court and off the court with you guys. But uh, you can follow me at LGun with four N's on Twitter. All my work is attached to there. As you guys mentioned before, uh, I co-host the Blue Hardwood podcast with Brian Zillum, uh, the Gunshot podcast with my brother Grant Gunn, uh, and I'm, I'm writing for Mavis Moneyball. So hoping to get more active there uh, as the offseason kind of really kicks off and gets going. But, uh, yeah, thanks again so much for having me. And on that note, Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what do you believe the future holds for the New Orleans Pelicans in the city of New Orleans? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.